hey, Greg, can you just lead out a good key from your chair for happy birthday? Happy birthday, Serenity. Thank you, thank you. 29. Mm, 32. 29. Oh. Right? I've heard 29. Oh, 29. All right, have a seat. We'll watch Kurt's video here. <laughs> Yakima, Washington, actually, and we are headed uh, back to Jackson Hole to be with my folks because of uh, my brother dying. And uh, the second one in a year. Wow. Uh, I, I want to make certain to tell you guys uh man nobody's ever had a better family than i've got and by that i mean my natural one of course but i mean you guys uh the love the outpouring the it's just remarkable i just have such a sense of people just hugging and loving and holding and the the genuineness of that it's just remarkable and i couldn't possibly thank you enough um I want to tell you something just to show you I'm doing you know horribly and okay at the same time uh, okay because God has me and he just has us all and I want to tell you a story about how much he has us as an introduction to serenity who's going to preach um, before the beginning of every year I'll spend quite a lot of time praying and, and thinking about what's the Lord want to do this next year so that in January I can start to lay a foundation for what that is. And I've just had this thing, you've been hearing me kind of talk about it already, which is a level of obedience that I'm calling just simple obedience. But what it means is, is you don't have to know the why. You just you just have to be obedient you just in fact knowing the why doesn't really work because we say if you tell me why god then i would do it but he tells us why and then we don't do it <laughs> and we just don't we're just not that way we're not built that way and and we just are not able to be just simply obedient it doesn't matter what's happening it doesn't matter if your brother dies God has you in his hand. God has your brother in his hand. It doesn't matter if this or that or anything. It doesn't matter. It's just this thing of that I've been feeling God talking to us about in a, in a day and in a season where it might things might get a little more difficult and so on. And where God is just saying, can you trust me? I mean, no matter what, can you trust me? And that trust means, in practical terms, obedience. Can you just obey me? So with that, um, what happened was, is I was working on a sermon at the beginning of this week. And I was working on that sermon. That's been in my heart for a couple of months and really getting stronger and stronger and feeling like that's the foundation that God wanted me to lay. And so I was working on it Monday and Tuesday and I, I could have even written it Wednesday morning. I had so much of it. And then uh, Wednesday night, I get this call out of the blue, total shock just just you know mac truck just bam knocks you down and you know uh i don't know what to do and i'm just totally out of sorts and i call my folks and they need us to come and so i'm coming and i'm now the oldest of the boys and that's such a but the point is is i'm doing it right 
And then I get to thinking, okay, well, what do I do about sermons? Geez, you know, it's now Thursday and, and who's going to be able to preach on such short notice and what should I do? And I'm just asking the Lord. And, and now, now listen to this. Listen to God here. Hear God. In my email is a lengthy email from Serenity that she sent me on Monday. So before Jim had died, she sent me an email. And at the header of the email, she said, I feel like I have to send this to you. She sent me other sermon ideas and so on and never has prefaced it that way. But she said, I feel like the Lord pressed me. In fact, she's going to tell you in a second what the Lord did with her in the service even last week to press it upon her to do this before Jim had ever died. And so I thought, well, I should read that. <laughs> and I read it and I'm telling you, I started crying because what she was writing to me was the foundation, the thing that I felt like God was trying to say to us and wanted to build in us. It was the perfect sermon. She was ready on it. It was almost fully laid out. We, we just did a sermon preach call on it and it changed a little but not much. It was, she had the whole thing. And I just wanna say, this is what it is to live in God to just trust him at every moment in everything wait till you hear what she has to say and the way she says it but the bottom line is this is what i think god is trying to build us into this year to just really love him which is to say completely trust him which is to say believe it and act on whatever he says just do that so with that, again, I want to say thank you for your incredible love and thank God for the way that he holds us so strongly. I can't wait for you to hear this sermon. In Jesus' name, God, anoint it and communicate it so that we all start to live it in Jesus' name. I love you. See you next week. Bye. So, um, like he said, I found out on Thursday I was giving this sermon, and I sent an email last week. I did not think I would end up here. Um, it's also my birthday, as he said, so you guys have to be really nice to me today, okay? A lot of grace. My, my toddler was throwing a tantrum in the car, and my husband turned around and was like, it's your mother's birthday. She gets whatever she wants today. Do you understand? She did not stop crying. She did not care. But, um... <laughs> Uh, so, I have to say, I didn't expect to be up here. I didn't even send the email thinking it would be a sermon because this is a really hard time in my life, and I don't have time to do this. Um, but last week, I was in service, and it was our prayer and worship service, remember? And about five minutes in, I, there's been this email that I've been wanting to send to Kurt just to kind of let him know what our life was looking like because he'd sort of seen me not, you know, like, how you doing? Terribly! I'm doing terribly, you know? Um, and so I was going to send him an email just to let him know what God's working in my heart. So I actually left service during worship, sorry, and I went downstairs to the youth room, and I just kind of started typing it out on my phone. Uh, and I felt pretty guilty. Um, like, I should be up there, like, praying for the church and the new year. But I'm really thankful I did it now, because I never would have done it when I got home. Stuff would have taken up my attention. And, um, 
and I sent it to him. And, you know, when stuff like that happens to people like Kurt and Julie, who you love so much, all you want is to do whatever you can to make it easier on them. So me having left service feeling guilty made his life a little easier, right? And, and gave me the honor of being able to be up here again, which I honestly didn't think I'd be able to do because of a lot of things that are happening right now, which I'll talk about. But I will start by saying, um, Adam said I'm 29 today, but I'm actually 32, and I'm just old now, so that's okay. 32, I know, I know. 32 doesn't mean much, right? And there's no special celebration, really. And, you know, I mean cake and stuff. But what it does mean is that my 10-year high school, re or 10-year college reunion, sorry, 10-year college reunion is this summer. Um, and I'm confessing I'm not going. I don't really know when it is. I don't know where it is. I'm just, it's not even on my radar. But when you get to one of those, like, major, you know, college reunions, you kind of take a little stock of your life probably a little in comparison to the people that you graduated with. I hope, does anyone else do that? Like you look around and say like, what, what are they doing now? What am I doing now? And I went to college with some really amazing people. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a stay at home mom, which is amazing and what God has called me to and the hardest thing I've ever done and exactly where I should be. But my two roommates are PhDs medical researchers, you know, another friend is an investment banker in London, the Facebook pictures are amazing, um, you know, another friend is a corporate lawyer in Seattle, and, and so you kind of are like, oh, wow, like, not really keeping up here, but I'm a Christian, right, so I'm like, you know, that's not my, that's not my deal, right, I got to judge myself, right, or look at myself based upon what God asks of me, you know, so, so what are God's standards for my life, so I'll go to the Bible, and I look at my great commandment, it's up here, but it's not up there. I can just... I did. It should be. It's okay. It's just the great commandment. <laughs> you and me, Adam. <laughs> there you go. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if these are the standards that I'm weighing myself on, right? What? Getting heckled. Heckled from down here. So um, if these are the standards that we're weighing ourselves on, right? You know, I don't want to say, like, how much money am I making or how famous am I or whatever, right? The second one, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's, um, that's actually not easy to do. But for me, it's kind of easy to see how well I'm doing in it. Does that make sense? Like, I can tell in myself, okay, I really was not patient enough here. Or actually, you know, like, I really, like, God gave me a heart for that person, and I acted in love, and I just, I feel really good about that encounter. But the second one, or sorry, the first one, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, um, all your soul, and all your mind. I don't even know what that looks like sometimes. Like, I don't know how well I'm doing at that. Uh, there were times when it's really easy, like during a great worship set, or um, we went to the beach last year, and like the grandeur of the ocean just kind of draws out your love for God. You guys have had that feeling where you're like, it's not even hard to feel like I'm loving God with everything right now. But what does it even look like to love God in the boring moments, in the hard moments? If, that, if I'm commanded to do that, and I'm trying to figure out how well I'm doing that, or if I'm even doing it at all, that's the question I'd like to ask today. What does it even look like to love God? 
particularly in the hard or kind of like boring daily moments. So that's the question I'm going to go after today. Um, and I'd like to ask someone to pray. Oh, I'd like to ask Adam to pray. I probably shouldn't have made fun of you. <laughs> Please uh, lift up the, I probably shouldn't have made fun of you. Please lift up the, the church sermon, another church. So God, this morning we uh, just thank you. Um, I just thank you for the intro uh, that Kurt gave and just the truth in that. Um, God, I pray as serenity speaks, uh, maybe just yeah, clearly hear a message that, um, that you had in the works for longer than we've known. And so, yeah, I just left that up. And God, I pray for um, LifeGate down in Auburn, LifeGate Foursquare, just as they have their services this morning. May you bless that church and grow it um, as you're doing it even now. Amen. Thank you. So, like I said, I only had four days to repair, but it was a little bit easier because this is really the story of what's been happening in my heart for the past few months. Um, as many of you know, um, in September, on September 24th, one of my twins, Willow, was rushed to the ER and diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That's Willow when we were at the beach last summer. Um, and um, type 1 diabetes is kind of, I mean, it's, it's a chronic disease and we kind of, we're familiar with it, but it's actually a life-threatening illness and is really, really not good. Um, 10% of people with type 1 diabetes die before age 40, which is a really scary number when you're a mom in the hospital. Um, and it's different than type 2 diabetes. There, uh, you know, just there's a lot of misconception to clear up. Um, symptomatically, they're the same. There's too much sugar in your blood. Your blood, your cells are not using your sugar that you're eating. Type 2 diabetes um, has to do with your body becoming increasingly resistant to the insulin your body creates. So the insulin your body creates isn't working as well to help your cells get the energy it needs to use that sugars. Um, and it's also progressive. Type 2, like you can be, like type 2 can get worse. Does that make sense? Um, it can start out as not that bad and, and then it can get worse. So you can manage it sometimes through changing how you eat and then sometimes you have to take insulin too. That's not what Willow has. Willow has type 1, which is an autoimmune disorder. So something in her, uh, they think maybe a virus that she caught at some point, triggered something that makes her white blood cells think that the cells in her body that make insulin are germs. So even if we put new ones in her, her body would attack them and kill them. She cannot live without insulin. It doesn't matter what she eats. She has to have insulin for it. Um, so for my little three-year-old girl, that means um, three to four daily injections of insulin and five to ten um, daily finger, you know, you prick your finger and you test your blood. Because it's a balancing act. And I'm explaining all this not just because I want you to know, but because this informs what, what my life looks like, which I'll, you know, be talking about. Um, it's a balancing act between two high blood sugars, um, which aren't terribly dangerous immediately, but over the course of a life, if you, your blood sugar remains too high, um, you can get a lot of the complications that we associate with diabetes, right? Uh, loss of limb, you know, having to be amputated, uh, kidney damage, losing your eyesight, um, heart, heart failure. So we really want to keep that from happening. We want to set her up as good parents for a lifetime of health. The other side of that, the other side of the balancing act, is that her blood sugar could go too low uh, because there's too much insulin or not enough food. And what that means is much scarier and much more immediate. Um, if her blood sugar gets too low and we don't find it, catch it, and treat it by 
basically giving her candy in time, um, she could collapse, have a seizure, fall into a coma, or die. So that's my life right now, right? I mean, and I smile as I'm saying that because I'm a little more used to it, but it's a balancing act. Every day is a balancing act. And there's many times each day when as her primary, you know, the person who takes care of her, her health is in my hands, right? I, I'm the one drawing the insulin. I'm the one giving the injection. And I have so much respect for nurses right now. Can I just say that? Because you do that over and over and over throughout the course of the day, knowing that a mistake, like, really is a mistake. Does that, I, I just, when it first started, I, I like told every nurse I could, I just, I want to give you a hug. This is amazing what you do every day. And the other side of that is that every day I have a lot of moments where I have to sit and just wait for the insulin and the carbohydrates she's eaten to kind of all work itself out to see how she's doing. I have to sit and wait with God. I can't just check her blood constantly to make sure she's safe. I have to wait for these checkpoints. God has been bringing me right up front and center with my greatest fear. And that's actually, I thought before it was just losing my child was my greatest fear. I could have told you guys that uh, years ago, right? But it's actually losing my child and having it be my fault. The day my husband went back to work after we all got out of the hospital and kind of had stuff set up, I said to him before he left, um, you know, I could kill her, right? Like, I could, I could just make an accident. There's a lot of math you have to do to, like, measure stuff. Like, I could make a mistake, and I could, I could kill our daughter. Would you ever be able to forgive me? And he is a good husband. So he said, of course, you know, we'll get through this. Whatever comes, we'll get through it together. But that's God, you know, he's, he's bringing that fear right to the center. And I'm not saying that he gave her diabetes. Do not mistake me. But he's bringing to my mind. He's making me face my fear with him. And six weeks ago, I had almost gotten accustomed to all of it, but six weeks ago, Willow's health changed again. Um, it happens a lot with chronic illnesses. It's not like it gets worse or gets better. It just kind of changes, and, like, your dosage has to change, and, and these things, you know what I mean? And you just have a new normal again and again and again. And because of that, um, there's a lot of trial and error, which meant a lot more sitting and waiting and praying and hoping that everything was okay. It also meant that my husband, who is a tech guy, um, really poured himself into writing an app for my phone that would help me manage a lot of this math to help alleviate my fears. He is so amazing, and he's been working, you know, he wakes up at 2 in the morning to work on this so that I don't have to feel afraid about what her dosage is while he's at work the next day. The other side of that is that he's not always mentally there. You know what I mean? He's, his mind is elsewhere. And so I've spent a lot of time in fear, and my husband is, for great reasons, not always completely, like, noticing that, you know, if I'm not just screaming at his face. Um, <laughs> and the third piece of that is that Willow's condition became so volatile that it became difficult to leave the house. Um, there was a couple times where we'd be driving down the highway, and I'd look in the rearview mirror, and I'd, the, the Holy Spirit, this is all glory to God. The Holy Spirit would quicken something in me that she didn't even look weird. And I'd just be like, I gotta go check her. I'd pull off, you know, on some like, you know, off 405, some random exit, and I'd check her blood, and I'd immediately just have to start dosing her with sugar because her blood sugar was low. And God was letting me know that I needed to take care of it right away. 
Well, that happens enough times, and as a mom, you kind of just say, I think we're just going to stay home today, <laughs> right? Like, let's just put your PJs back on, kids. We're, we're not going out, you know? All of these are specific to my life, but I think there's three points that, are that go across different types of suffering, which is that first, you're in fear or in pain. Second, you feel, whether or not you are, you feel mentally or emotionally alone. And third, you're physically isolated from other people. The, thing, the places that you go for comfort, you can't necessarily get to anymore. I know I'm not the only one in this room that's been in that situation. And in fact, I'm wondering if maybe there are some people watching today who are physically isolated, and so they're streaming in. And I want you to know that we're thinking of you. We know you can't be here for a great reason. But when you're there, hope becomes a choice, right? It's not like, you know, and not just, it becomes a foolish choice. People would tell me, it's going to get better. I wasn't, like, terribly nice. I was like, how do you know that? It's only gotten worse so far, right? It could, you don't know that. There's nothing, there's nothing that anyone could say, right? That would, it's a foolish choice, hoping. And the only way it gets better on me is it goes on her. And do you want that for your, you know? You want that for her? It comes off me, so she has to manage this awfulness? Hope is a choice. And when we're despairing, because we're good Christians, we fall back on the promises of God. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. You're despairing, you find what God has said about it, and you fall back on it. Verses like this. I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, right? And you hold on to it with everything you have. But the hard part is the next verse. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It is hard to wait for the Lord when you're in fear or in pain. And God comes through every time. But it's hard to do that. And after a lot of moments of waiting for the Lord, I began to feel like a ballet dancer. Now, they have exquisite balance, right? So they're just up on point. I'm not even going to try. Up on point, right? But I felt like that without balance, that anything could push me to one side or the other, hope or despair, things as stupid as my car not starting or not being able to find my keys or missing a phone call from the doctor would push me over into despair. And things as small as a hug from one of my kids would push me over into hope, right? We're on a knife, knife's edge. And after a lot of kind of, you know, crappy things, I started to despair. I straight out gave up. My husband saw it, and he tried to bolster me up. My friends, my church family saw it, and they sent me verses, and it helped. It did help. But at the end of the day, we have to work it out between us and God because the questions don't go away just because a friend said you're, you're doing great, right? That's the dark night of the soul, right? A crisis on the path between you getting closer to God that has to be dealt with. And here was my question, my crisis, because I was doing all of this work to keep my family together. You know, not just my 
you know, keeping Willow safe, but helping my other daughters deal with the complete change in the way our life looked now, right? And it wasn't working. Things were still just terrible all over the place. What do we do when our actions no longer create our results? When even the most controllable things are out of our control, when we've done everything right and we're trying so hard, we've worked longer and we've worked harder and we've worked smarter and we've given up and sacrificed more and more and more and it's still not working. When your kid's still sick or you still don't have a job or that relationship is still broken, no matter how many times you've reached out in how many different ways, what do we do? Am I the only one who's asked, what's the point? What's the point anymore? And if you haven't ever asked that, congratulations. <laughs> um, try to now. Get yourself to that place, just mentally. If you can achieve nothing else, right? If you're in a box, and you're surrounded on all sides, and nothing you do is working, what can you do? What can you do in that place? I think the only thing we can do is the thing we're made to do, which is glorify God. We can stand in that place, and we can glorify God. You see, we have messy lives. As my grandfather would say, I clean up good, but I don't, my life doesn't look like this, right? Our lives are full of failure, but if at the end I have glorified God through all of the mess and all of the crap that I've waded through, then my life was worth it because I did what I came to do. And I believe that down deep in my heart of hearts. But there's also a part of me that feels like it's a Sunday school answer, right? Things are really bad, just glorify God, right? That's what we're made to do. So the next question is how? How do we do that? And, and in two specific places, how do I glorify God in the grind, in the daily stuff that no one sees no one thanks you for, you just got to do it. How do you glorify God there? And secondly, how do I glorify God in my unthinking moments and immediate reactions? Right? As Christians, we, we should be taking prayerful action. But there are times when you are angry or frustrated or scared or you get really bad news or you get in a fender bender and your immediate reaction says something about you. These two things... Not that the rest of it isn't who you are, but these two things say something about who you are in your heart. What you do when no one's watching, and what you do when you don't have time to think. Have you ever experienced meeting someone who's like you in a similar life situation, um, but isn't walking with God, not a Christian? And it's like you, like 10 years in the future? I don't and God almost puts that in your heart as a warning. Like, not judgment, no, no judgment, but like, watch out. This could be you. And I, I do say this with full compassion, but I spend a lot of time online reading information on forums with like other mothers with children with diabetes, you know, how do you manage this aspect or this aspect? How do you manage sending them to preschool? You know, all of those kinds of questions. And some of the moms are a warning to me. I think that it is a combination of a thousand rough days over and over and over. But you can become bitter and you can become ungenerous and inflexible and you can become reactive. Everything. Just 
provokes a reaction out of you. And I'm afraid of being that person because it would be very easy, very easy to become that. There is no neutral in the face of suffering. You're going to get changed either by the situation or by God. There is no neutral. It doesn't just happen. We're either trying to harden our hold on what we have or loosen our grip and trust God, right? So I'm afraid of this, and I see that these two areas are things that I, like, am not glorifying God in. Um, so how do we, you know, what are we supposed to do, right? See what Jesus says. At home group a few weeks ago, we were talking about this passage, which is well known. Um, I'm, I'll just read it. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So the context um, is that the Jewish people were under this Roman oppressive force and the Roman soldiers could ask certain things. Um, one of which, I'll do that, just the extra mile part, was that a soldier could be walking by, could see a Jewish person and could say, stop what you're doing, carry my pack for a mile. But the law said they could only ask you for a mile, right? So they were, they were oppressing, but there was a point. Um, and you still have to drop everything and you still have to walk that mile. But Jesus was making a point that it's not about just fulfilling what you have to do. You see, neutral is to do just what is asked of you. You still have to drop everything. You still have to walk a mile carrying a heavy pack. But it doesn't transform you, right? It got us thinking about how, who our enemy is. Because I don't have an oppressive force making me carry packs for a mile or stealing my coat or slapping me across the face. Um, and there is Satan, right? The, the true enemy that comes to kill and steal and destroy. And it translates into something in my life that looks like despair or fear. Tamara Lee a few years ago gave a sermon in which she talked about how in, when she was reading through the Psalms, she would replace, um, you know, whatever, the enemy that was chasing David with the thing she was actually facing, right? Frustration or depression or anxiety or fear or whatever. And that, that really helped her to put kind of a face that this was actually something she was battling, right? So my enemy um, is this disease and the fear it brings. We began to talk about what it looks like to carry the pack for one mile in the face of this kind of ephemeral, not, you know, not an actual person, right? And for me, that looks like doing exactly what is required of me with full integrity and honor and doing it well the best that I can. But I'm not changed by it. And it's not kingdom life. And it's not transformative. I'm simply doing what is required of me. Do you think that God asks us to go to the extra mile because the Roman soldier needs it? Maybe, if it's a real person in your life that's coming at you, maybe your kindness will soften their heart towards God. That might be true. But do you think God asks me to go the extra mile because diabetes asks it of me? It's not going to change diabetes. It's going to change me. It means holding with open hands my plans. 
It means holding out everything that I decided that my life should look like, everything that has been taken from me and everything that will be taken from me, and just holding it out, walking the extra mile. And then, in some cases, to say, okay, you can take from me the childhood I wanted for my daughter, the vacations I wanted to take, the Christmas cookies I wanted to bake this year. You can take all of that. And at the end of the day, you might take my daughter from me. It could happen. It happens. I hold it out. Because in the end, I'm not doing it into submission to what I hate. Right? That's not why I'm doing this. I'm not doing it because it's being wrested from my grip. I'm doing it in submission to the God that I love. Because God has asked it of me. And I surrender it so that hopefully through all of this, I mean, the bad stuff's going to happen either way. I want to grow in it, right? So I surrender so I can grow in a completely different way. There's no neutral in the face of suffering. We're either hardening on hold on what we have or loosening our grip and choosing hope and trust in God. And that's how we glorify God, when we choose hope. Because it says something about our God that we would choose to hope in face of the hopeless. Now that sounds really nice again, but I'm kind of a cynic. So how? That's my next question. How? How do I do that? How do I hold it out every day, over and over, in the face of the relationship with the person who just it can't be nice to me, or in the face of the job search that just doesn't seem to be leading to anything, in the face of a sickness that will not be going away? How do I reconcile myself to a, li myself to a life that looks like that? How do I keep moving forward every day in that? Before Christmas, I was listening to a sermon by Timothy Keller. Oh. He's a really uh, great sermon giver. You should listen to him. <laughs> um, and he also has written some books, which I haven't read, but he was preaching um, on Christmas, and one of his points was that um, Christianity is the only religion where love was there in the beginning. It's the only way of thinking, the only philosophy. Because we believe in a three-in-one God, the love existed in the beginning with it all, right? Because they have always loved each other. It's not like other religions where there's a God who then created something to love. And it's not like uh, an atheist who believes that the universe existed and then humans existed and then love was felt between them. In Christianity, love came first. And more than that, love was the driving force behind the universe. God created the universe because of love. Now that seems really simple, but what it actually means is that love itself is a force to be reckoned with, right? We think that if our love doesn't do something, then it's not worth it. Or if we love someone and they don't love us back, then it's just like a seed scattered to the wind, right? But God used love itself to create the universe. Love is a powerful thing. That's where we can glorify God no matter what our life looks like. And that's what Jesus was saying, right? Our jobs are not to love people, love our neighbors so that they believe in God. Although that is what we want, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's your job. 
Love your God. That's your job. Because love matters. Love alone. When you're in a bad place where nothing seems to be working, that seems really simple, but it actually changes the way you look at things. Because my efforts may fail. I may have done all of this and see no results for it. But if I'm where God wants me, and I don't really have a choice right now in my life, so yes, I'm where God wants me, um, and I'm loving, you know, if I'm ex acting in love as much as I can, in as many ways as I can, as much of the time as I can, then what I'm doing matters. Even if it doesn't look like it matters, I'm doing what God has asked me, and love matters. So if you feel like your life is going towards nothing, if you're just kind of grinding at your job or whatever, just remember that. If you're, if you're acting in love as much as you can, in as many ways as you can, as much of the time as you can, then what you're doing matters. So I'm also kind of a hippie, so I also really like that, <laughs> right? The idea that love matters. I mean, I feel like there's a million songs from the 60s that say that, right? Like, love is all you need. And, and when I heard that, I was like, yeah, love matters. All I have to do is love and, like, you know, put flowers in my hair and, like, we're all good. Um, but... The second piece of that is that it's totally devoid of meaning if it doesn't turn to action. Like, I can love all I want, and if I don't do anything about it, it it's not a driving force. But when it does turn to action, when you take that, that, that force that created the universe, right? You know, that thing that God gave us, and you turn it to action, not only does it transform us, and I decrease, and God increases in my life. But it also triggers something in other people when they see it in you. And that's why I talked about, like, how do I glorify God in the grind, and how do I glorify God in my immediate reactions? Because those are the places where people point out hypocrisy, right? They say, oh, you Christians, you're so good when you think someone's watching you. When you have time to think before you speak, yep, that's some nice God talk coming out of your mouth. But in the times when no one's watching, and in the times when you don't even have a moment between hearing and reacting, that's where your hypocrisy is. I see it. Right? But if they see in that moment that what comes out of your mouth isn't the normal human reaction, there's no explanation for that. Especially if that person knows you and knows you're not really that nice to start with. Right? Like, I know that you're not, like, you know, a super kind and compassionate per person, and then you got in that car accident, and your first thought was for the other person's safety, not for your car. Whoa. Something weird is happening here. Right? It's exactly what Paul's talking about here. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts, so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. 
that last line, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That's what suffering does. It brings the Jesus out. I had an experience where this happened um, just a few weeks ago. So I told you that Willow can have low blood sugar, and when that happens, we have to react pretty quickly, like very quickly. Um, and we have to get some sugar into her bloodstream, and um, it's, it can be very stressful, especially um, if she's asleep when it happens. You have to like wake her up and get her to eat like really fast. Um, and so a few weeks ago, that had happened. She had just woken up from nap, and her blood sugar was in the 50s, which is low. Um, and um, my husband had tested her and came out and said, like, okay, we need to give her uh, 15 Skittles or something. And I said, okay, I'll just do it. Um, and I just kind of got up, and I did what needed to be done very calmly and peacefully, very kindly to her. You know, baby, I just need you to eat this right now. I know, it's okay. Just, you got to wake up and eat. Um, and after I came out, he remarked that um, that was different <laughs> than the way I'd been reacting. He said, I've noticed a really drastic change in you when it comes to dealing with these kind of really stressful time, pressured situations. And I said, well, yeah, that's God changing me. Um, and he said, how do you know that? Maybe you're just getting better at it. We're like, yeah, you're just getting used to it, you know? And I, I thought about it for a while. And I realized it's because I disagree with God. When my daughter's life, when her health and, you know, action needs to be taken, I don't think I should be peaceful about it. I don't think I should be nice to anyone right then. I think that my other two children should shut up and move out of the way, that my husband should give me the sugar and I should just throw it at her face until she gets safe. <laughs> now, I, maybe that's a little too much in my heart, but that's how I feel, right? Like when your kid's life is in danger, you should not be peaceful. You should not be calm. But I am. And I said, that's how I know it's God. Because like, even though I disagree with what God wants me to be in that moment, I'm going to submit to him. But I know it couldn't come from me because I, it would never occur to me to be calm then. And I, I don't want this to be glory to me, okay? Because I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I wasn't saying, God, transform me. Like, make me a more peaceful person. Although I've prayed all of those things, that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was just trying to get through the really bad moments by trusting God. I was just saying to God, I'm so afraid right now that if you got any other emotion, I'll take it, right? I don't want to be afraid anymore. I need to trust you. It was total desperation. There was nothing, like, noble in it at all. God, just give me what you got, because I need it right now. And because I was just trying to trust him, and I had to do it over and over and over again, it began to change me. There is no neutral in the face of suffering. You will either be changed by the situation or you will be changed by God. So we have to do the hard work too, though, right? Because it was hard to submit to God. It is hard to turn towards God, to lean into him. It reminds me a little bit of what it's like when you're in a marriage or any kind of lifelong relationship where, you know, you have your high moments, and then you have your low moments, you know, where you're fighting or whatever. But the relationship is really created in those middle moments where you turn towards the other person sacrificially in little small ways, right? Like, they want your attention, and you're kind of 
not really wanting it right now, and, but you put your st stuff aside and you turn towards them. My husband uh, listens to podcasts in the evening, and he's always coming in while I'm watching my shows to tell me something interesting he just heard, and it drives me crazy because <laughs> I'm in the middle of my show, right? <laughs> but that's where our relationship is created, and I try to remember that some nights. Um, <laughs> that, like, my bond with him is better because I've put aside what I needed at that moment and turned towards what he asked for. Um, and it makes the highs higher, and it makes the lows not as scary. Right? Because you know you're going to get through it. You have a foundation of turning towards that person a thousand times. A thousand little choices that have built that relationship. I think that's what our relationship with God is like, right? You know, we have our highs in worship, and we have our lows where we're really questioning God. But it's the thousand little choices that we've done a thousand times that build the path that we can walk down. So, um, to answer the original question which is, what does it even look like to love God? Um, I think this is part of what it means, and I wouldn't claim to have all the answer. But I think it's that when there's no results, and no laud, and no one's listening to you, um, and there's no reason to keep hoping, you keep doing what God has asked you to do simply because he's asked you to do it. And then, when you put that into action... We're transformed by it. But it's hard. I don't want anyone in this room to think that I'm saying it's easy. And I wish I could, because it's really nice to give a sermon and then be like, three easy steps to a better life. Um, that's not true. <laughs> because there's a third part of this verse that I didn't really touch on. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. And this is the part I didn't talk too much about. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. That's our part. We have to do it. You have to be strong, and you have to take courage. And sometimes that looks not like standing up on a battlefield like Braveheart, right? Sometimes it looks like submitting the job application, though you've been rejected a million times. And sometimes it means uh, making another overture to that relationship, that knowing that you're going to be vulnerable and they, they might hurt you again. And that's courageous. And sometimes it means getting up and making a cup of tea and playing with your kids, even though you're terrified, and putting on the joy that, of the Lord so that you can keep moving forward. That's what courage looks like today. I mean, it looks like a lot of things, but that's part of it. And we have to take it, and we have to be strong. So if you're suffering today, I bring you good news. <laughs> um, you're not forgotten. You're not alone. You're not a failure. You're not a failure. You're in training. It hurts. It's hard. You're in training to become something more than you ever thought you would be and to do more. For God to do more through you than you ever thought possible. So take heart. Um, so I'm going to ask everyone to reach down and take the cups in front of you and the worship team to come up. Because every week we do this, thank you, um, in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. I want to do that today also, but I also want us to realize that we're not alone because God is with us, but we're also not alone because we're with us. 
So when we take communion today, um, can you just like take a second to look around? We're taking it together. It's not just us in our seats. And I also just want to make the point that if you're suffering today, there's someone here to mourn with you. And if you're not suffering today, there's someone here who needs your comfort. You're not alone. So um, I just want to say, as one body, can we reach in and break the bread to symbolize the brokenness of our lives? And then as one body, can we take the bread that we're one body together? And then as one body, this is the juice that symbolizes the new life of Jesus. Jesus of blood in us. So can you take it together? Father God, I pray today that whatever we came here with, whatever we're going through, good or bad, that our heart would be towards glorifying you. Lord, that you would comfort us in our afflictions and rejoice with us in our things that we have to rejoice about, Lord, and that you would bring us closer as a family so that we can comfort and rejoice with each other as well. Lord, I pray in this week and throughout this year that we would continually turn towards you and turn towards each other, doing the hard work of building relationships that can transform us. In your holy name, Lord.